I'm going to be starting with some conflict resolution advice. It's, it's, it's kind of a proactive way. It's a proactive attitude toward conflict because the thing is we all face conflict. I do, you do, we all face it. I remember facing it ever since I was a little kid. I, I got to face conflict with my three older brothers. I, I was the fourth of, of four boys, and it was, that was hard. It was, it was tough because they would beat me up. They would throw me on the ground. You know, They would hurl me into the air and, and toss me around, and, and I would fight back with every ounce of energy that I had, and they would just laugh at me. You know, They would pin me on the ground, and there was nothing I could do because I was the small little guy. And then to make life worse for me, I didn't get a little brother to do that to. I got a little sister, and and you see, you don't get to do things to your sister like your brother's got to do to you. So I was this wounded, messed up child. I need therapy today because of, of all of the agony that my family put me through. And but 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 really, growing up, I, I had to deal with that. I had to live with my brothers, and and uh, and I, I thought it was kind of odd. My little sister, she got her own room. She had her own little room. I never had my own room. Instead, I had to live in a room with my brothers whom I had conflict with constantly. And, and conflict, it just happens. It, 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 you process through it through life. You deal with it. It's, you just you have to deal with it. And, and you deal with it on the job. You deal with it in the community. You deal with it at the grocery store. <laughs> you deal with it at church. You deal with it all the time. Conflict is one of those things that we all have to face. And that's why the Bible addresses things like this. The Bible talks about stuff that we deal with in everyday life. Now, before I get into Matthew chapter 18, I want to read to you a short passage from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 3, and this is in your online notes as well as on the screens. And that, I'm reading from the New International Version, excuse me, the, the Message Version. And this says it really clear. Listen to this. It says, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, and be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions. So none of us get out of this. This is a foundational thing we all have to do. So, okay, we accept it. We accept this, and we're going to have to do this. And he says, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Any of you guys do the sarcasm thing? I I mean, I I do sometimes. I'll get sarcastic, and then I'm thinking, what did I just do? What did I just say? That was just just wrong. I mean, I, 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 I got sarcastic the other day. It was just, I don't know why, but I got sarcastic going through a checkout line. I, I, I seem like my highest conflict moments in life are in checkout lines at, at some, some store. And, and I, maybe it's because I don't like going, going shopping or something. Maybe because I just think it's all some kind of an evil scheme trying to take my money. I, I don't know. I don't know. But, but, I, but I, I got through the whole, the whole deal and, and they gave me back wrong change. And, and I, you know, I know that they weren't trying to steal from me. I know that I mean, come on, I used to work as a cashier myself when I was in college, so, so I understand that, but, but, uh, but they gave me back this wrong change, shorted me by about $40, and so, so, I, so I said, oh, this is the new style of giving change back. I like it. It's kind of like where you just give me less so I don't have to carry as much and break my arm. I don't know, and I, as soon as I said it, I thought, that was so rude, Tim Woody. That was not very godly, but, but you know, sarcasm, we, we tend to do that sometimes. We, we just think that, that we we just need to make a statement, and, and it's wrong. But here we go. No sharp-tongued sarcasm, as I confess it all. Instead, here's what we're supposed to do. Bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing. Okay, now look at this. 
and also get a blessing. Catch this. When we bless others, we release blessing and the blessing comes back to us because whatever we give away, it comes back to us. That's a principle of life. That's the way God set up this universe. So you'll be a blessing. You'll also get a blessing. So he goes on to say this. I love this. Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, stop right there. Who in the world doesn't want to embrace life and see your day fill up with good? So I, I like the way that's put there. It's like, so no, if, if this is kind of an objective in your life, which it is for all of us, he gives his explicit instructions. He says, say nothing evil or hurtful. Snub, not bad people or bad, you know, bad feelings. It says snub evil and cultivate good. And that's the evil that rises up within us. You know, you cultivate the good. Run after peace for all your worth. God looks on all of this with approval, listening and responding well to what he's asked. But here's what's interesting. He turns his back on those who do evil things. Now, I'm going to pause for just a second. That last little line wasn't very nice. That last little line just kind of just say, wait a minute, how did that fit in with the rest of that? God turns his back on those who do evil things. That, and and you, can, you can take that out of, of that context and make it say a lot of different things. But really, it's in the whole context of how we're responding to other people when other people have wronged us. I don't fully understand that, but I think today's teaching and really what Jesus was teaching from Matthew 18 today will maybe help us wrap our brains around it just a little bit. See, because there's this uh, concept that we need to, to follow through with, and, and Jesus modeled it for us, and it's just being Christ-like. And that's what this passage of Scripture is about. It's about being like Jesus. And when we are Christ-like, when we give away that blessing, then God actually blesses us in return. And that's a key, I would say, to God's blessing. Many people are looking for that. You know, I want to be blessed of God. Well, I believe a key to God's blessing is to keep your attitudes and your actions in check. And that's something we all have to work on day in and day out because it does not come naturally. Because our attitudes and our actions, they count. And our, our, our actions, they actually flow from our attitudes. So it's whatever's in our heart, whatever's in our head, what, whatever the attitudes are on the inside, they will express themselves one way or another. So both of those have to be in check all the time. And, and, and none of us make a perfect score with this. We can't score perfect. It demands a lot of humility, a lot of work, and a lot of intentional focus. And I would also say a lot of God in us. See, the, the, the truth of the matter is, which I've been sharing through this whole series, is we simply need to forgive people who have wronged us. Easier said than done, I do admit that, but that's still the truth. Now, what I'm not saying, though, is that, is that, that, that we should just go ahead and, and let people go and nobody could be, should be held accountable for the things that they've done. I'm, I'm not saying that, but when we come down hard on someone else, it really doesn't reflect the life of Christ. I want to demonstrate that for you by reading this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter number 18. This is a parable. A parable is a story that's told which illustrates another truth. And this is a story that Jesus told, a parable that Jesus told, and it's all often known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. So let's take a look at it in Matthew 18, verse 23. 
Jesus, and I even think Jesus knows what's going on, he says this, the kingdom of heaven, that means God's whole kingdom. It doesn't mean like the place you're going to go to someday off in eternity. It just means the whole universe, the way way that it all works, because this is all the kingdom of heaven. This is all the way God works even now. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now, this is an absurd amount of money that was owed back to the king. In fact, some of you may have a version of the Bible that says 10,000 talents. Now, uh, you know, it's, it's not talents like what we think of because we think of talents as abilities. Uh, well, this is quite different. It has really nothing to do with abilities. This, has to do, this is actually a weight of gold, so it would be a way of expressing an amount of currency, an, an amount of money in those days. I would say it would be possibly not millions of dollars, but more like trillions is really what this was. This is a huge, absurd amount of money, something we can't even really wrap our brains around. The reason we know this, and and I love to study the scriptures to find out what they really meant to the people who were hearing it. So you see, uh, back in the Bible times, there's this king by the name of Solomon. And the scriptures tell us that Solomon taxed the kingdom like no other king had ever done before. And and he, he really levied heavy taxes. So Solomon, over the kingdom of Israel, during one year, the, t- the year's income that he wanted to bring in for the running of the government was 666 talents of gold. So you see that to run the kingdom of Israel compared to 10,000 talents that this man owes the king. So now you're beginning to see this is an absurd amount of money. It's something that really can't even be repaired, uh, paid, paid back at all. And so it's a huge debt. And really this kind of helps us to see our reality because our reality is similar, is that our sin actually creates this debt that really can't even be repaid. And that's why we need Jesus. And that's why we need forgiveness of our debt, of our sin, because we can't repay it. And and that is kind of the little parallel story that's going on over here. So as Jesus is telling the parable, the parallel is going on about us and our relationship to God and how we relate to him and how we relate to other people. And it's this truth that the debt that we owe God, it's not fixable. And we're all going to stand before God just like the debtor stood before his king or his master and had, was called to account for his debt. So follow along with me. Look in verse number 25. It says, he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. Now here's what's interesting. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. Now, take a look at what this is really saying here. Now, the the debtor, what he does in response to, to this verdict that was issued over him is he humbled himself. He asked for patience and he asked for mercy. And, and he, he did not ask even though that his debt be forgiven. He just said, hey, have a little bit of mercy on me. I'll make it happen. But the master responded in a huge way and actually exceeded what he even asked for. Sure, he was patient and merciful with him, but he looked at him and saw his brokenness, saw his humility, 
humility, saw his attitude, because attitudes do count, saw his attitude and responded by canceling the entire debt. Now, that is crazy, amazing grace. Our reality that runs parallel to this is that God's amazing grace has wiped our slate clean as well. God did that for us. He's done the same for us. When you humble yourself before God, God forgives. God sets you free. And and he makes you as if you have never sinned before. And as if there was never even a debt and you go free. And that's the beauty of following Christ. That's the beauty of what Jesus did for us. See, there's this cause and effect relationship here is that humility activates grace. Humility activates grace. Grace. The grace is there, but in order to activate it, we become humble. So attitudes and actions count because when we display the attitude of humility, it actually brings this, this, this action then that comes from our heart because it, we have the attitude of humility. The action is then we humble ourselves before God and we say, God, I need you to forgive me. I, I'm not going to be hard in my heart. I, I, I need you to clean me. And God responds. God responds with his attitude, which is compassion. God responds with an action, which is forgiveness, because attitudes and actions count. Now, take a look back in verse number 28 as we keep going through the story, because it says, But when the man left the king, he, which is the guy who had just been forgiven this unrepayable debt, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for just a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded, interesting, the same words that he had said to the king earlier. And he just walks out on the street and sees this guy. Same setting, possibly 30 minutes to an hour later. It's interesting because if you are reading from a different version, it doesn't say uh, really a few thousand. It says 100 denarii. And in my research, really, that that would amount to about 10 days or or let's just say two weeks of labor from a... Uh, that, that, a, that a person would typically make. If you were uh, a blue-collar labor uh, person, that's, that's really what you would make in a couple of weeks. So it's about 10 days of wages. So you see a huge difference here. He owed him 10 days of wages. The other guy owed something that was completely unrepayable. Now, this is our reality. Our reality is this, is that other people are indebted to us as well. And just like we have been indebted to God and, 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 and God then forgave us and wiped the slate clean, then the truth is other people are still indebted to us because you've been wronged. People have sinned against you. They've done things to you that really you don't like and some of those people you don't ever want to see again and I don't, I don't blame you for that. But your attitudes and your actions count toward them. See, because our goal and our desire is to simply be like Jesus. Be like Jesus in attitude. Be like Jesus in action. And, and, and this looks something interest, looks like something very interesting that I just read to you a few moments ago. And this is the attitude. This is the action that we should portray. And I want you to think of a person right now who's wronged you, who sinned against you, <laughs> maybe two or three of them, maybe a group of them. And just, just think about those, those that are out there that have hurt you. 
Now I want you to look at this. Scripture says, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. This goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation. No sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing, and you'll get a blessing. Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. Snub evil and cultivate good. Run after peace for all your worth. God looks on this with approval, listening and responding well to what he's asked. But it turns his back on those who do evil things. So you see, your attitudes and your actions count in the spirit realm as well because God sees how you are responding. See, this is our truth. And, and, and if you leave with nothing else today, I want you to leave with this truth, this truth right here. Our attitudes and our actions count toward other people. It counts more than just toward your current existence or this moment of, of isolated, isolated situations that you're walking through or these challenges that you're facing. No, it affects things in a huge way. There is a ripple effect that impacts your life and the lives of people around you. And, and what happens is when we respond correctly, we do what the scriptures say, it not only opens us up, but it opens everyone else around us up to the grace of God. And it opens you up to the blessing of God. Now, who doesn't want that? Okay, now look back at Matthew chapter 18 because the story continues to go further. It says in Matthew 18, verse 29, it says, but his creditor wouldn't wait. Now, the creditor was the guy who had just been forgiven. You see, he has no debt. His debt is paid. He is just fine. He's back to ground zero. He may not have the millions, but he's at ground zero. That's a whole lot better than where he was. But his creditor, who wanted just 10 days of wages from this guy, wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now, his attitude back toward this guy was impatience. He was harsh. His actions got the authorities involved. He, he had the man thrown into prison. And his attitudes and his actions count. Because God sees our attitudes and our actions toward others. See, he treated this man the opposite of how he was actually treated, in spite of the huge variance of money that was actually owed back. I just encourage you to consider this. Consider this truth right here that we should respond to others as God has responded to us. That's... The crux of the message right here is to give grace, is to have mercy, and don't get caught up in this passionate pursuit of punishment. Back to the passage in verse number 31, it says, When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset, naturally. It says they went to the king and told him everything that they saw had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king, now he's an angry king. He was a nice king before. Now he's an angry king. The angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured. 
to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And there's so much that's in there. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I, like I, I do theology. I understand the scriptures. I, I study the scriptures. This is one passage I really don't even fully, completely understand. I don't, I, I'll have to admit, I don't fully understand, but there's a message here that we need to hear. You see, people are watching and they know that you're a follower of Jesus and they expect you to be different. And this, this kind of activity, this is really the ultimate in hypocrisy when we treat others with disdain and harshness and cruelty when we have been forgiven from so much. See, when I was growing up, I, I grew up in a very conservative church. And loved my, I love my roots. I love my background. But, but we, we were taught that we didn't ever want to be hypocrites. And hypocrisy in the church that I grew up in as a child, hypocrisy was essentially defined this way of, of if you do these things, you're a hypocrite. If you dance or if you play cards or if you smoke or if you cuss or, my goodness, if you drink or you do any of that, you are a hypocrite. That's what we were taught, and, and, and so I, I grew up thinking that. And, and, and I also thought, though, it was kind of odd because I grew up in church. I grew up in a pastor's home, and, and I saw you know, people, they, they, would, you know, they would abide by those rules, but, but there were also some people in our church that were just the meanest people I had ever seen. They were mean, and they were ugly, and they would just spit fire on you, you know, if you got in their way. And, and, and I would think, you know, what, what's the deal here? Is, how, is that what it means to be a good Christian? I remember talking with my parents about it, and they said, oh, no, no, no. Actually, those people are very bad. Just We just... Uh, they, we just have a lot of those people around. And, and my dad would go to another church and pastor another church, and there, there would be people like that again. And I would think, man, this is, this is not right because, well, no, they're not, they're not smoking or they're not drinking and they're not dancing, which we were taught was the evil stuff. That was the stuff to be hypocritical, but they were mean as the devil. And so, so I just learned that's not what I want to do. In fact, a lot of the, the philosophies that I have of ministry are based upon my childhood experiences, realizing that a lot of the people that I went to uh, went to church with as a, as a kid, and a lot of the adults that I looked up to and, and thought they were wonderful spiritual people actually were living in direct opposition to what the Bible said while they were being careful to not play cards. <laughs> so now I do have to admit that in my home, my dad said, now we can play cards in our house, but we can't tell the church people we play cards. So we did. It was, it was actually quite fun. There were some other things that we did as a kid that, that my dad said that some of the, parents, some of the people in the church might think is, hippo, is hypocritical, but my dad said it's not, so we can do it. Just don't tell anybody. So we learned how to not tell things. And some of the crazy things we did is we would go like swimming on Sundays. Oh, I'm more word. I survived it. Yeah, we would go swimming on Sundays, and uh, and let's see another one. Another one was bowling. We couldn't tell people that we went bowling, and and I, I remember in seventh grade, I was wanting to. I th- there was this opportunity to be on a bowling league. Now I don't know why, but it was. I, I we lived up in Nebraska at that time, and, and it was cold outside during the winter. So what are you going to do outside? Well, during the winter time, you can bowl. So I was like, okay, great. So so uh, I, I asked my parents, can I be a part of this bowling league for the for this school and I can go bowl like after school and it, it would be a lot of fun. They said, well, we'll have to think about it. And, and, and then, then they said, okay, well, people in the church are probably going to find out, but we'll just go ahead and have to deal with that when it happens. And then I remember asking my parents, why is it wrong to bowl? What is wrong? What is evil? What is hypocritical about taking a ball and rolling it down the floor to knock over pens? And they said, well, it's because 
some of the other people who go there drink and smoke, and you might be associated with them. I'm like, really? Uh, that's on the whole city. But, but you see how hypocrisy was so, it was so muddled. It was so strange. And a lot of people live that way under this harsh criticism of, 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 these, of lifestyles. And, and, and they're missing the real truth of what the Bible says hypocrisy is all about. And it's when, when you treat other people Worse than God has even treated you. That is hypocrisy because it actually flies in the face of everything that we're living for, everything that God has done for us. Now, what happened here is is the people saw this and they saw his actions toward this other guy. And when we do those things toward other people, I believe that our testimony, our portrayal of Christ in the community is thwarted. I think we become hypocrites in the most dangerous way. Now, I want you to think about this. Here's a principle. What you make happen for others might be what God makes happen for you. If I read this correctly, I see a parallel. I see that in the story. I don't know. I don't fully understand. But it appears that God has little patience. In fact, the word anger comes in here. And, and I, again, I was taught about you don't want to get into the wrath of God, so you better not, uh, you, you better not dip. And so I, I didn't, except for the one time, I do admit, the one time in seventh grade, my, me and my buddy went and got some Copenhagen. We went and hid under the stadium and, and put it in our mouths, and it was the nastiest stuff I'd ever had. I didn't like it. It was terrible. I spit it out all the way home and went home and ate peanut butter to cover up the smell. My breath never touched it since. But... but uh, <laughs> But yeah, that, that's the stuff I was told would send you to hell. And, and, and the reality is that I, that's not the stuff I don't believe that makes God angry because I don't see that in the Scriptures because I believe in the Bible. And the Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible says is that when we treat others like that, that's what makes God angry. And God will have little patience with us when we treat others poorly because Matthew 18.35 says this. And this is, I would say if I were to... Put, put the top 10 most sobering scriptures from the Bible on a piece of paper, this one would be there. It says this, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you. If you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart, look at it, break that down, what God will do to you if, there's the key word, if you do what? refuse to forgive. So that means, I don't want you living with guilt here. Maybe if there's someone that you didn't forgive, that you forgot about or whatever, well, that's not a refusal to forgive. But if you know that you need to forgive and you're refusing to forgive and there's a conflict there that's in your, that's in your heart, there's a problem. And it says you have to forgive them from your heart, which is your attitude, and then your action is displayed toward them somehow. That's the challenge. And unforgiveness, I believe, is our biggest spiritual roadblock that we have. And this holds more people back, I believe, spiritually and emotionally than anything else. 
heard a lot of people will say, well, Pastor, I'm just offended. I'm just offended, and that's the way it's going to be. And it's like, well, don't live that way. And today, as I wrap up this series, my, my, my heart cry to you is to don't live that way. Because how might God respond to you? Because if you're holding on to resentment, here's what I'm going to say. Stop praying. Stop giving. Stop all the other stuff that you're doing. Stop that because that is not helping anything right now. Your miracle is not going to happen based on that. Your miracle is going to happen based on the foundation of forgiving other people because deep spiritual consequences can happen in our lives when we hold on to crazy offenses. I don't really even understand all the implications here, but it's serious. And, and these issues are rampant in our culture. They ought not be. We need to have the right attitudes. So the attitudes are this, is, is that attitudes that are pure, remembering what God did for us. And I don't ever want you to forget what God did for you because a, 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 a wrong approach to this message is to try to go and fix everything. And I think that's, 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 that's kind of a works-oriented approach. And I don't, I don't really think that's the right thing to do. Instead, first and foremost, what you need to do is to remember what God did for you. Don't ever let that out of your mind. Remember what God did for you. Do you realize this? That the wages of sin is death, eternal death. That's a serious punishment for sin. And when you ask God to forgive you of your sin, it is wiped clean as if you've never sinned, and he takes away the punishment. That's huge. Don't ever, 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 ever forget what God has done for you. That keeps your attitudes pure when other people do stuff to you. And your actions should base your actions upon the unrelenting love of God, just like he shows toward you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment now. We're going to ask God to reveal to us how much he loves us. And we're going to sing the song we sang a little bit earlier. And ask God, God, show me, show me how much you really love me. If you're here this morning, you're not in right relationship with Jesus. Maybe there's a big mountain of sin. Well, well, the beauty of it all is that all you have to do is just ask him to forgive you. And he wipes the slate clean. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. You just bring it to God and say, God, I've messed up. I've sinned. Will you please forgive me? And that crazy grace of God just flows your way and makes you as if you've never sinned before. And if that's you, I want you to pray with me right now. Let's posture ourselves in prayer and let's get our eyes on Jesus right now. And if there's sin in your heart, things are not right between you and Jesus. Make things right right now just by praying this prayer and watch His forgiveness go toward you because the penalty for your sin is something there's no way you can work yourself out of. No way you can pay for it. He's already paid for it. So accept his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace. Run to Jesus. Just pray these words with me, Lord Jesus. I recognize I have sin in my life. I don't want it out. I'm sorry for what I've done. So I ask for your mercy. I ask for your grace.
just receive the forgiveness of God. Just receive that forgiveness of God. Just let him pour his grace over you. Because like in the parable, he looks at you, he has compassion, and he forgives it all. He forgives it all as if there was never a debt there in the first place. about when just bad stuff happens in life and so much of the bad stuff that happens in life is people oriented how do you deal with it run to Jesus run to his protection his grace and his mercy your junk has all piled up the mess you made you just run to Jesus sounds overly simplistic, but it's true. The song says this, it says, if I can go ahead and put them up on the screens, it says, when the mountains fail and the tempest roars, you're with me. He's with you right now. When creation folds, still my soul will soar on your mercy. <laughs> no matter what's going against you, your mercy is going to make you soar. Walk through the fire with my head lifted high and my spirit revived. Where? In your story. That's, that's what he did for us. He says, I'll look to the cross as my failure is lost in the light of your glorious grace. So let the ruins come to life. The ruins, what, what are the ruins? The ruins are you and me. <laughs> because of God's grace come to life in the beauty of your name rising up from the ashes God forever you reign and where does he reign? right here and it says my soul will find refuge in the shadow of your wings I'll love you forever forever I'll see and when we can live like this and understand this and do this it positions our heart in a totally different place. So the when that person offends or hurts you or tries to damage you, you can go back to this reservoir of God and know that He has poured so much into you and forgiven so much from you. Your life, the rubble, the ashes, the mess of your life is beauty because it's what He's done for you. So you can give some of that beauty away. God's even going to bless you back because you did us to stand. We're going to sing this song and then we'll dismiss. Let's get our eyes focused on Jesus. Let's give him our heart, give him our affection. Let's just admit this song from the bottom of your heart.